welcome back to Spiral Podcasts. On this week's episode, we're in conversation with Jack from Arniston. We chat about everything from the latest single Centre and its accompanying video starring G. Hurst from hit TV series Vikings to post-lockdown life and the return of live music. Hey, you're right. Sorry to keep you away from me. I didn't realise you were like, in a waiting room sort of thing. It's been ages since I've fine. used Zoom and Google Meet and everything, so... <laughs> Oh, well, as you can probably see from my backdrop, I haven't done a brilliant job of setting this up. The Wi-Fi is not fixed. So oh, I'm goodness. on 4G if I, uh, oh, no, if I go don't use your 4G. Goodness. I know, I've got unlimited things. Have you? So, oh, right. Uh, okay. So um, you're right. You're feeling a bit better. Yeah, yeah. Um, it, it comes and goes. It, it teaches me for trying to go abroad, I think. Um, you know, a year and a half spent in the UK. Maybe my body was spasming due to shock of actually going somewhere other than London. Yeah. Um, and, um, no, no, but it's fine, though. Oh, yeah. Good. Good. Yeah. Um, it's just nice to, to get some sun, you know. Um, yeah. It immediately got sunburned, of course, um, having forgotten how to use sun cream and everything. But, <laughs> <Where did laughs> you go? Um, it was uh, Corfu. Oh, lovely. Yeah. Yeah. It was really nice. Um, yeah, definitely. How about you? Uh, yeah, yeah, it was actually, yeah. Um, yeah, yeah um, holiday-wise, I haven't really been abroad in a long time, but yeah, UK-based, Wales, and um, yeah, where else did I go? I'm trying to think. Stonehenge was the last little trip, which was lovely. Oh, nice, yeah. yeah. yeah it was very much the same here. This was my first one where I uh, actually got in a plane. It feels strange. God, I can't believe that that used to be a more regular thing in life. Yeah, it's crazy, isn't it? Crazy. Yeah. So how did you feel travelling? Yeah, it, it is odd. Um, what was it like? Well, I think it's the admin more than anything else. Yeah. They've done a brilliant job of complicating it to the point of you not really wanting to engage with travelling. Like, I had a great time, but the amount of work involved in, in actually getting somewhere and then coming back... Um, it's it's yeah, it's quite a lot of admin. Yeah, but um, but you know, other than that, uh, all, a good time. Yeah, yeah. Once the sunburn faded. Well, there's no sun here today. That's for sure. It's pretty much overcast, isn't it? I mean. Yeah, I'm safe. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> oh dear. Well, firstly, I just want to say, um, Elizabeth sends her apologies that she couldn't be here today. Um, yeah. So she's just literally back from Edinburgh with a work trip and full of cold. Just. It drained completely drained. Oh, no. yeah, yeah, oh, well, no problem. No, that's fine. So, um, yeah, just take us to where you're at now. You're at this position where you're releasing a single, Centre, which is due out on the 1st of October. So, lockdown has given you that opportunity to work towards your debut album, is that correct? Uh, yeah, that's that's right. Or, or at least um, the, the sort of the big EP, it's a uh, five tracker. Um, it did take quite a long time in the end. We thought, um, oh, great, you know, here's lockdown. In trying to desperately see a silver lining to the whole situation, we thought, in one sense, oh, great, here's lockdown, a big passage of time where no other external distractions are going to get in the way if we're going to be able to focus on this. And we did. Um, but with that amount of focus came huge attention to detail that actually became a little bit of a break on proceedings as well because 
everything was agonized over and every tiny detail was was sort of dug up and dug up and it it probably had some positive out, outcomes as well but um we definitely kind of got in our own way a little bit um but i am pleased with the result that we got uh, it just it just probably wasn't the most efficient route to get there sure and when you say not the most efficient what do you mean by that uh, well, just the, um, the the sort of agonising over tiny little decisions, and right. you know, is this hi hat the best hi hat it can possibly be? And then you know, doing three or four different versions of it, and coming back the next day to listen to them, and then you hear it in the context of the rest of the track, and you think, actually, I don't know if anyone's gonna think that the difference between hi-hat one and hi-hat four is as marked as we all do right now in fact i don't think anyone's even going to notice there are hi-hats <laughs> um so it's that kind of thing sure. that um that, you know maybe took a, a week or two weeks and, and actually mm, for, for for marginal benefit but you enjoy that whole process i i, I gather from like going to that tiny little detail because obviously you're really passionate about getting it right mm -hmm. yeah i mean it was hugely um indulgent <laughs> we loved it <laughs> but uh, no just from like an efficiency point of view we could have probably been a bit more clinical about it but um i guess that's the good thing about uh lockdown that there really was nothing else to do so you may as well become really anal about the little details yeah, and, no, um, yeah. you've got the time haven't you to think about that <laughs> did you have any yeah. other time pick up any other hobbies along the way or was it just purely just music um i wish i could say something really interesting because that was definitely the time for hobbies wasn't it i feel like that was the window if i was ever going to get something really eccentric and cool like crocheting or i don't know <laughs> knitting or something that would have been the time for it but it sort of passed me by i think all i did when i got back from from the studio was just sort of flop in front of the tv <laughs> Oh no, actually I got into reading. I made myself read an hour a day, um, oh, which doesn't sound like a lot, no, but it, it seemed a huge mountain at the time. Um, and I've stopped that now, but um, yeah, I think that, that, that was quite good. So um, I think that was pretty much as constructive as it got for me. How about you? Did you, did you pick up anything? Do you know what I did actually? I went back to dressmaking for a bit. I'm not saying that there's anything oh, cool. incredible, but I managed to make a dress, at least something that looks just about okay. <laughs> it was nice. good fun. Nice. Yeah, it was good fun. Um, so you're not talking to a, a massive dress expert here, but what, sure. what, like, I'm going to go for a full, like, how close to the floor was the bottom? Was it like a long dress? Or? Yeah, it was actually quite a long dress. Um, so it's almost ankle, I'd say, yeah. But, oh, cool. Um, yeah, it was good fun. It's kind of like a 1940s sort of look. So. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Nice. Did you have a, one of those terrifying electric sewing machines? Yes, I did. Yeah. And the bulb yeah, went. Not, right. the, not the uh, needle, but I was just like, okay. <laughs> Work in the daytime only. <laughs> yeah. Nice. Yeah. Oh, okay. Have you had a chance to wear it out yet? I haven't actually, no. I mean, I did go to regular dance socials outside of lockdown. Um, but yeah, I haven't had the chance because dancing hasn't started up again. So um, There's right. the odd one, but it's kind of a little bit too far out. So um, There's actually one happening at where I work on Halloween, which is really exciting. So I go to that. Nice, nice. Oh, well, yeah. you, you did something much better than me then. I just relearned how to read, which is something that I probably should have known in the first place. But uh, yeah, that's cool. 
God, yeah, the electric sewing machine thing terrifies me. Whenever you see people's fingers going next to that bolt, just relentlessly going up and down. Um, Is there some kind of, like, protector? You know, if your finger was to slip, would would the needle just go through it? There's a, like, a a foot on the end of the piece. It's like a pressure foot, I think it's called. So you do have that to stop you from slipping underneath the needle. (laughs) Okay, good, good. That makes me feel better about the whole thing. But yeah, again, back to sports and things like that, everything's been obviously via this little window. Like we've all been online, haven't we? Like YouTube and stuff like that. And I did give the dance and the go online for a bit, but it's just really hard, isn't it, when you're doing stuff remotely? And Yeah. Well, particularly dancing, I guess, because you're getting the music from your laptop, like um, through the podcast. Thing, or, yeah, or the, it's, the... it's through, exactly, there is a delay. That's the thing. Like <laughs> the, the instructor has the music playing. So she has to tell us like what the beat is to begin with, and wow, yeah, that's. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm impressed you even attempted it. To be honest, yeah, very good fun. Um, so yeah, talking about TV and films and stuff like that. So you managed for your video to get G Hurst to star in your centre video. How did yes. that come about? Um, well, that came about by uh, I actually. Um, uh, started going out with with her sister Scarlett, oh, really? um, and um, we got to talking. And she, she she wanted to be a video honey, as she called it. And um, we were delighted that she wanted to be in in um, one of Arliston's videos. So we leapt at the chance to have her involved. And um, yeah, we we shot it in a few days with with Bo, our um, mixer and producer, who's also a visuals guy. And um, yeah, we love the result really cool video um that's going to come out i think roughly about two weeks after the single so with that video i mean um i I was watching it and i was thinking it's almost like dual personality is that idea you wanted to achieve yeah exactly exactly and that's the i hope it comes across in the video that sense of the wall uh between the two sides of the personality and um yeah yeah exactly yeah, the sort of roughly speaking, the extrovert, the introvert, and um, the way that through yeah, actual okay. symbiosis they can come together and hopefully make something halfway human rather than fighting one another. Interesting, yeah. Okay. And also now you're working with a new producer as well, aren't you? So you've mentioned how your sound has changed slightly. Yeah. Yeah, I think um, I can best sum that up by uh, it's it's like it's pretty much just accountability. I think working with someone new was was super interesting for us because on the face of it, it didn't seem like a very big deal, but actually, the three of us in Arlister were all very close, very good friends, and I think we gave each other passes on stuff. Um, much more than perhaps we should have done if someone came, uh, you know, in with with a you know a good idea, a six out of ten idea. The other two would be like, "Well, yeah, that's cool, nice. Let's let's put that in." And we didn't really, we weren't particularly critical. And I think that led to a lot of um, a lot of unnecessary stuff being in the records previously. Um, and uh, you know, I, I I love those records, but I think again, it's probably coming back to this efficiency thing. Um, but this time, I think we did get the efficiency in songwriting right, not necessarily efficiency in time. 
but um, having to be accountable to Bo, um, and he would be quite critical. You know, he would say that's not very good. <laughs> at first, we would be shocked and think, "Oh God, right, okay." Um, yeah, I know. Um, but it was really good, actually, really good for us and really good for the songs. And um, having to justify each single part and have a you know reasoned argument for having it in the track, um, I think it was a really productive uh, way to do it. A little bit alarming at first, but um, but good in the end. Well, that's good that it worked out. And so you mentioned also and um, previously, like your approach to making music has always been to release singles. You haven't worked towards an EP before now, and that's so. Choosing that avenue, I mean, how, how how do you know that you've got a single ready? What's the processes that you go through? Um, we, well, <laughs> yeah, it's a good question. So we have we have five songs, or actually more. We had uh, about ten songs by the end of um, lockdown, and we ended up shaving that down to five um as the final five and then it was which one is the single that was the big question and i had my favorite and, and everyone else had theirs and inevitably um everyone felt really strongly that their one was the right one um you know their choice was the people's choice and we tried to do a big survey of all our friends and sort of send them out the five songs out go on just have a quick listen which one's your favorite which one's your least favorite and we got this big spreadsheet back of sort of one or two hundred people, and it was none of our favourites. It was this one that we, we, uh, I mean, we we love all the songs, and like I said, we pared those five down for a much you know bigger number anyway. So we love all of them, but it was just, um, yeah, it was this one which we we for some reason we thought was like the more interesting off the cuff one. Um, but no, people really seemed to, to like it. So we went with the, with the popular consensus and, um, yeah, so Centre is the, the first single. And obviously being in lockdown and not having that crowd interaction and going to gigs and things, how have you adapted? I mean, not saying that you need that validation, but if you see what I mean, like having that feedback from an audience to sort of see what works well. Have you, have you actually got to this position before where you've played new music to an audience and you relied on that feedback to determine what should be released and what shouldn't be? Totally, yeah. yeah that, that's a really interesting point. Um, I think everyone in the music industry and probably beyond, you know, I, I don't know, whatever performative arts there are, like poetry or something, maybe those guys, you know, want to get up on a stage and see what the reaction is before they publish particular things. Um, Actually, comedy, I suppose, as well. You know, comics. Yeah, yeah, they probably have the same thing. So totally, yeah, it, it would have been great to, to kind of field test it, as it were, and see who was, you know, getting a, a refill for their drink in which song and um, who was completely locked in in other songs. Um, but obviously, yeah, we didn't have that chance, so it was down to us. And having heard the song so much uh, in such detail... We really had no idea what was up and what was down in terms of which one was subjectively better. Um, so it was it was great to do that um, that survey thing. I think that was kind of the equivalent of a gig for us. We, we just had to get some kind of external feedback. Um, yeah, but 
it was no, it was super important, and we can't wait to to get out there and actually play a show now that it's allowed. I bet. Have you got any plans to hit the road anytime soon? Not yet. Um, yeah, yeah, we'd love to. Um, I think we so <laughs> incredibly the last time we played properly was in Canada in 2019 wow. in November, which seems like a lifetime ago. Um, yeah, God, I, I would never have thought it would have lasted this long. But so once we've relearned how to play our instruments, yeah, we'll, we'll try and um, try and get back out there. So Canada, that was Sofa Sounds, wasn't that that you played? Yeah, one of the one of the shows was a Sofa Sounds one. Yeah, that was great. Um, we did that in London, Ontario. Um, such a cool place. It's it it all seemed impossibly cool. Like we <laughs> living in London you kind of have this quite solipsistic view that this is the place to be, you know, this is the centre of the earth uh, and everywhere here is as cool as it can possibly get for the human race. But actually it, it did seem like that wasn't the case <laughs> going around Canada and Ontario. There were some amazing venues there, like that, that Sofa Sounds one that we went to. We travelled from uh, Toronto via Niagara Falls um, to uh, London, Ontario, and it was this base, uh, not basement, it was this warehouse conversion thing with a mezzanine level and this amazing octopus mural on the wall. Um, all the audience were on these hay bales in semicircles, like a sort of big theatre. It was, yeah, it was incredible. Um, I suppose those guys, you know, in, in a country like Canada, they've got the, the ground space to do stuff like that, which is the only excuse I can give London. That it's, we're, we're a little bit more packed in. Yeah. No, Canada's beautiful, I have to say, it really yeah. is. I've been a few times, uh, I've got family out there, actually. So, um, oh, nice. Yeah. Not cool. Where about? In Calgary, actually, which is, I think, um, not too far, but it's about eight hours, isn't it, from Ontario? I think so. Too. Yeah, it looks tiny on the map, and then you I try know. and drive it. It's crazy. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. Such a vast country, but it's beautiful. Every season, mm. it's just incredible. I mean, mm. were you there for the winter? Did you see much of the, or did you say that water news then? Uh, yeah, yeah, we were there for the winter. Yeah, um, so it, it was beautiful. Yeah, we we, um, uh, we had snow and yeah, wandering around the cities and the countryside when it was snowing, it was incredible. Um, <laughs> actually, I had dinner with them um, with our drummer Jordy and and George the other night, and we found a uh, in the snow on the street side in Toronto. Uh, something was poking out of the snow a little bit of card edging, pulled it, and it was this completely mint condition in the box, sort of vintage-looking Ninja Turtles toy. And we thought, that's weird, what is that? And we took a picture of Geordie with it, because he, he loves that kind of stuff. And weirdly, he didn't take it with him, I think, because we were teasing him about, you know, playing with toys. And uh, it was still there when we walked back, and we tried to get him to take it, and he wouldn't. And a week ago, he saw in um, Notting Hill Market that same toy up for three hundred pounds. No way! <laughs> he, uh, he left it there. Yeah. Oh my goodness, that's insane. <laughs> yeah. Um. So we not only tease him about potentially taking the toy, we tease him about not taking the toy as well. Last night or the other night. We're brilliant, brilliant friends. How did you guys meet? Um. We met. I met. George through uh, a drummer that I was playing with um, before him 
Um, I think they'd gone, no, he had helped George on a thing he was doing for Goldsmiths University. And then we met Geordie through George's brother-in-law who worked in a CEX, you know, those um, yeah. second-hand electronics stores. Yeah. Um, he worked in a CEX with Geordie and he was mentioning that, uh, that this band that his brother-in-law was in needed a drummer. And um, yeah, Geordie came along and, and he was great. Wow. Yeah. So it was one of those funny um, coincidental things. Amazing to have a story that's not, um, or, or an origin story that's not in any way influenced by the internet, which you know yeah. you would think um, that that would usually be the case. Yeah, even you go back to I think it was Claxons. I think they found each other on MySpace or something back in the day. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. No, it's interesting. Um, also, when you played Colours Hoxton uh, back in 2019, <laughs> taking us back to that year when it was normal. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, you actually supported Flock of the Famine. Do you remember mm. that gig? Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, I know Alex, and I remember him saying that you guys met at the same uni. Yes, yeah, that's right. We both went to Edinburgh together, and we, we played gigs up there. Um, yeah, that's so funny. Okay, so how do you know Alex? Um, so I think the, the first time was when he reached out with his music, and then we met up, we had an interview, and then we just kept in touch and went to gigs. Nice, nice. Yeah, yeah he's a great guy, isn't he? Yeah. He is, he's lovely. He uh, played a festival, didn't he, last weekend, which I completely missed. The, uh, yes. I've also the, forgotten the name of it. But yeah. How the Light Gets In, yeah. How the Light Gets In, that's the one, yes. Did you go? No, no, oh. unfortunately not. Um, but uh, I'm just so excited that that's even a possibility in, at the moment, that festival, you can play a festival. Yeah. That's true. Yeah. Yeah, and he's got new music and he's been signed as well, hasn't he? So he's busy with that. So that's Yeah, 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 it's great. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, just taking us back to outside of lockdown and things being really progressive and as you mentioned festivals and stuff like that. Plans moving forward. So the single is on the first of October and then when can we expect the EP? Probably we're working this out, so we're going to release the single, as you said, the first of October. Then a second single uh, about a month after that, and then the EP. But of course, the second single being a month after that pushes it into November, and we sort of wanted to stay away from the December release in case we we ended up with a kind of Christmas themed EP. So okay, we're going to okay. wait till till January to um, uh, to release the EP. Oh, that gives you a nice time then um, pace it out and you might get a gig in between that, hopefully. Yeah, hopefully, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah. What was your first ever show like? Oh, terrible, yeah. yeah. I mean, <laughs> do you mean the first ever show with Arliston or just in general? With this band, yeah. Oh, that's cool, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, I think... The name of the venue was Aquam. Um, it was like a... <laughs> the other guys remember this as well. It was um, a club, basically, that was one of those places that was like a sort of restaurant, and then it transformed and all the tables got taken away, and it was uh, a kind of club thing. There's a big DJ booth in the middle. And they wanted to introduce a live 
music night. I think it was Thursday or something. And so they were looking for acts. But unfortunately, they didn't really know how to facilitate that. So they didn't have a desk um, for all the channels and, and they didn't really have PA systems. <laughs> they just had the music, the system that they had for the dance stuff. So, you know, all of the, the ceiling mounted speakers dotted around, which obviously is, is uh, not quite right. Um, so all of these bands turned up. Uh, I think they had a few people from various music universities around, and then we were there as well. Um, we basically ended up, they gave us this aux cable connected to the DJ decks in the booth. Uh, like, here you go, right? Let us know when you're ready to play, and uh, <laughs> you can go ahead. We're like, what? We actually can't do that much with this. And so, um, yeah, we had to... Um, Jerry rig a lot of stuff, and it was quite late. And, uh, the sound wasn't the best we've ever had. Oh, sorry, I've lost you. Um, um, am I back now? I can't see you, but I can hear you. Oh, sorry. That's um, all right. Oh, yeah. I, I can see myself, but that's probably not very helpful for you. <laughs> <laughs> that's fine. I've got the audio, you're fine, no worries. Okay, sorry. Yes. Hopefully I'll pop back on screen soon. I think it's just this 4G connection. So, yes, yeah, so you were saying about the cable, so the guy handed the cable. Yes, um, and, and seemed to think, with, with you know, quite a complimentary amount of faith, that we would know what to do with that and be able to, to make a show out of it. Um, and obviously we, we, we struggled with that one. Um, but actually, in the end, it was kind of okay. But it was just one of those blood-freezing moments where, combined with the nerves of your first show, you think, wow, this is some, this is one of those occasions where I'm just going to have to yell from the stage. <laughs> oh, goodness. <laughs> and your first ever show as, well, you mentioned pre-Alston. What was a band that you had before? Was you a solo artist before? Um, yeah, mainly. I, I, I've had a few uh, internet bands, which is, by, by which I mean people I've met on the internet, um, which is why I was so surprised that Arliston formed through word of mouth, because that seemed to be the you know the status quo of how people got together these days. Gone are the days of um, people taking those little notes off... Um, uh, doors in that place called uh, what's that famous um, music road? I've forgotten it now. But anyway, there used to be a door when it was all bassist wanted, drummers wanted. Denmark Street, you think? Denmark Street. Thank you. Yeah, yeah. And there was a little practice place behind there that you could go to. Um, but actually, I don't. I, I don't. Actually, I don't know why I gave you that as an option because I'm, I don't remember my first gig. So I'm really glad you went for the other one. Oh dear, I was. Yeah, I just caught the end, the tail end of. Oh, you're back on screen. Um, oh good. Of um, oh, what's his name? Graham Norton last night, and he had Ed Sheeran and most of the Bond cast on, and <clears> it was just. Him just talking about his first early show, and there's a picture of what he was he was performing in a truck, and then there was like a little kid. I don't know. It just made me think, like, what would it be like to you know perform your first show? Who, who's your audience? And because I guess that would well not necessarily determine, but you have that first show, and you're kind of like, oh, you build yourself up, and if it's all failure in your eyes, it might determine how you feel like going forward. I mean, 
Yeah, yeah, totally. I think um, a a great show can be one of the most exhilarating things in the world. Um, But conversely, if you have a bad show, Mm. that's one of the worst and most demoralising things. You just feel, it's sort of, uh, it certainly happened to me where, you know, it's embarrassing more than anything else. Um, You just, yeah... uh, you really just want the ground to kind of swallow up, swallow you up. Um, so definitely, preparation is is key to try and avoid those those horrible moments. Is there anything you do to prepare yourself before you go on stage, apart from maybe vocally? Is there anything that you do to calm yourself down? Like, I don't know, put on your favourite song and start dancing or something. <laughs> If you knew what what dance moves I was capable of, you wouldn't say that. No, I'm not a gifted dancer. I, my my particular brand of stage presence is stock still without moving an inch, <laughs> um, gripping the microphone with with white knuckles. Um, uh, I don't really have a, a pre-show ritual. Um, no, I'm, I'm I really meant preparation in terms of just like knowing you know the songs. Yeah, sure. Um, like in the weeks leading up to it, but um, and also bringing twice as many jacks and twice as many power cables as you think you're going to need, because um, the yeah, there's kind of a law of averages where you lose at least half of your gear in transit somehow. Oh, <laughs> Have you had many experiences of that? Oh yeah, yeah. It just goes. I don't know what happens to it. But yeah. yeah, there's some dimension somewhere full of power cables that we've we've left along the way. And what would be your dream venue to play? Oh, um, dream venue to play. I really like the Brixton O2. I think that's such a great venue. Um, yeah, I, I think that would be amazing. Um, I, I'm, I'm wary of arena uh, tours just because of the electrical situation. Can you imagine how many plugs I'd have to bring uh, for one of those ones? <laughs> I have, there aren't enough plugs in the world, I think. <laughs> going to stick to the, uh, <laughs> the sub-arena yeah. size venues. Yeah, Brixton's quite cool. I'm trying to think who I saw there, actually. Um... I can't remember who I saw. Have you seen anyone play there that you thought was amazing? Uh, yeah, I, I saw um, the Bon Iver show when he was there Did for like you? two weeks yeah. doing a few ones. Yeah, um, that was amazing. God, yeah, incredible. Uh, I think I saw Laura Mavula at some point as well. But yeah, I just remember both of those being really good atmosphere. Oh, and maybe Fat Freddy's Drop might have been there once as well. Um, but yeah, no, it's such a cool place. Yeah, it is cool. It's big, but it's a nice enough size, isn't it? It's not, as you say, too big. Like arena size, I've only been to one gig, and that was for um, oh goodness, Neil Young and Laura Marlin was supporting. Brilliant gig, like really stunning. But because you're so far away from the stage, you're not getting the same feeling as you would as a more intimate gig, and it just doesn't feel the same. Yeah, physically, yeah. It? And I, I, I can't work it out. There must be some way of getting around it, but I feel like because the size of the arena is so big, the feedback situation on stage must be a nightmare because you're 
you know, the speed of sound is so much slower. Um, you must be getting echoes from two seconds ago or three seconds ago off the back of the, the, the venue. That, yeah. yeah, so I, I'm, yeah, that's all quite scary. But also, when you take a band that would work well in a small venue and there's a bigger band, like Tame Impala, for instance, I didn't see them live, but one of my friends did. And she was just saying that their sound was lost. And she said it was just too big of a venue. Yeah, yeah. I think that, that big stuff, That's um, it's such an art to mix those huge venues or outdoor spaces mm. as well. The sound engineer on those gigs has so much power. Um, to either win or lose the day. Um, I, I, I remember being at a James Blake gig at All Points East um, a couple of years ago, and there was this uh, little pocket right in front of the stage where I think somehow um, the, the bass had been focused by all of the speakers, and a, cr a crowd of about 100 people in that little pocket started chanting like turn down the bass turn down the bass which i've never heard yeah. before in any gig it's always you know the more bass the better but i think they were getting sort of fried by a, like a sort of triangulation of bass oh my god and, uh, i think the, the sound guy might have been having a cigarette out the back or something <laughs> <laughs> so who's your favorite artist and you mentioned the james blake boniver do these unconsciously, I guess, you can't help feed into your style of music? Although I did read that you've got an interest for like every genre, like metal through to folk. So I was thinking, <laughs> okay, <laughs> yeah. not necessarily yeah, I mean, everything I, feeds in. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'll put my hands up and admit that I am not the uh, the metal advocate in sure, Ireland. Okay. <laughs> Um, that's Geordie's uh, area of expertise. Um, I've got, you know, I've got a healthy respect for metal, but um, you, you wouldn't find a lot of it on my playlists. I have to admit. Um, <laughs> although I did really enjoy um, what was that um, Metallica documentaries, um, some kind of monster. Uh, oh. That was great. I really enjoyed that, but not really for the music, more for the insane people. Sure. Okay. Um, but um, no, no, you're right. Like totally, I'm I'm totally influenced, inspired by by Justin Vernon and Bonavere and um, and you know James Blake. The National are also a big one for me. Um, and yeah, I mean, I hope a fairly deep <laughs> um, list of influences. But, but I think those are kind of the, the top three or four. And these are all quite modern bands as well. Could you go back any further to to earlier music that's something you might listen to? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I guess for, for all of us, the, the earliest um, memories we have are usually our parents playing us stuff and saying, oh, listen to this. And it was always Eric Clapton for my dad. Uh, mm. He would play it to us in the car. And uh, yeah, that was that was great, hearing the, like, the opening for Layla and... Uh, uh, all of that amazing stuff and, and Hendrix as well that was incredible um, and then after that I kind of started you know you, you, you want to get your own music taste and, and instantly everything that your parents like is rubbish and, and you want to do the opposite of that so then it was um, uh, I think I was really into the Red Hot Chili Peppers and, and you know classic stuff of that time like 90s noughties Lincoln Park. That, actually, that's probably as close as I ever got to metal. I was going to say, yeah, borderline. Yeah. 
Yeah, well, I mean, probably metal enthusiasts would be shaking their heads right now saying, ah, it's not real metal, but that's, it was pretty hardcore to me. Um, uh, oh, yeah, Damien Rice was a big one for me as well. Um, I loved him. Uh, and, yeah, yeah, that was kind of the, the middle period. God, I've, I've kind of forgotten what I used to listen to then. It's all been lost because I had it, you know, on CDs and, and tapes and I just don't have any of that stuff anymore. It's a shame, really. You don't keep any CDs then or tapes no, or no. iPods or anything? No, no, it's all on Spotify. I've got um, vinyls, like a sort of predictable hipster that I am. But, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, no, no CDs or tapes. Everyone wants to release on vinyl nowadays. I mean, the sound is completely different, I have to agree. Mm. But what's the difference with a CD or a vinyl? Is it a huge markup cost at the difference? Oh, do you mean from the production end? Yeah. Um, I actually haven't looked into it yet. Um, but I know there's there's plenty of boutique companies that offer that. You know, if you want, if if you're a band and, and you want to put something out on vinyl, then they'll say, look, it's a you know, it'll be X pounds for two hundred vinyls or something. Um, I would love to do that one day, but I think um, we, uh, we, we'd we like to get it <laughs> paid for by a label. Yeah, no, <laughs> um, um, But I'm very happy with other people's vinyls for now, um, you know, and, and actually I feel like I've, I listen to my own stuff enough. <laughs> so how important is um, merchandise? Have you had a chance to think about merchandise before bags t-shirts is that something that you make a habit of producing each time you release music yeah we did uh we did do a run of t-shirts for canada that we took out with us and tried to sort of hand them out to as many people as we could um and that was great actually it was it, it felt um felt very uh validating as a band if you can have a t-shirt somehow that makes you much more of a thing um and also being English there, it gave us a kind of an extra um, uh, credibility that you obviously don't get being in England because you kind of expect it to be English. Um, uh, so, that, yeah, that's the only time we've done T-shirts. Um, I think, we, yeah, we, we actually quite enjoyed designing them. Um, it's, yeah, made a nice change from, um, from the usual. But no, that, that, that's it for us. Haven't done any more than that, but it's probably you're right. It probably is a really good thing to get into. We're not the most astute marketers, to be honest. We're very um, sort of perfectionist, um, detail-oriented musically, but often a lot of the detail that's probably much more important than that in terms of marketing and t-shirts and tote bags and stuff is left completely untouched by us. Um, so. Yeah, we could definitely do with getting on that. Or maybe getting a sewing machine. That might be a next yeah, step. Yeah, definitely. I mean, DIY projects is, is kind of the way forward. You can get sort of cheap canvas and stuff like that to make bags as well. Mm. Should be kind of reasonable. And prints as well. You can get some cheap equipment yeah. to print onto T-shirts and stuff. Mm. You can get sort of transfer things yeah, as well, right? Yeah. Sort of get a kettle and exactly. print that on. Yeah. yeah. 
yeah, well, okay, I could I could trick some friends into coming round and then enlist them into stamping on <laughs> things on bags. I'm sure they'd love it. <laughs> so that'll be exciting then. So when you have plans to hit the road and get your music out there and stuff, so January, that'd be cool. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, uh, so, um, I mean, yeah, it, it seems... I know that um, you know it's possible now to play gigs, but I still I still feel like I, we can't do it for some reason. We haven't um, we haven't started putting feelers out yet, but um, yeah, that is that is exciting as a possibility. Um, have, have you been to any gigs in London at sort of the local places? Yeah, do you know what I mean? There's one really close to work, um, which is the Camden Green Oak, and oh, yeah. I know the promoter who puts on lots of folk music and I was like oh okay I don't know early September and even at that stage it was kind of like really like gigs are back on sort of thing um but yeah it was really good actually it was just you sort of walk in expecting a small venue with everyone be masked but we wasn't and we were like sitting down and was actually sitting next to other people it was just surreal but really cozy it was candle lit and you didn't feel like Covid even existed anymore <laughs> Yeah, it was good. The first ever one, actually, Tell and I, was the Staves. Um, It was a birthday gift, actually, from a friend. And um, they were incredible. I saw them at Hackney Church. Oh, my goodness. They were so, so good. Mm. Um, But that was also socially distant. So that was just, like, lots of seats. So you have your own little pockets of seats. And there's distance between everyone. Still really lovely. Really lovely acoustics. And then... Folk by the Oak Festival, and once again, that was pockets of people that like, was all like sitting around blankets and things. But um, yeah, it just once again just didn't feel like COVID was around because it just felt normal. Um, so yeah, three gigs. Mm-hmm. Oh my, we see you've, you've done lots. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Excellent. Yeah, that's the, yeah that exact feeling of sitting down in a room and it feeling cosy rather than horrifying yes. because everyone's close to you and doesn't yeah. have a mask on um is what i'm hoping will will come back yeah definitely i think so i think it's definitely progressed it's um mm. yeah i think we're out of the the woods now really especially with so many people taking the second vaccine and there's going to be a booster and... yeah we're getting there which uh, which vaccine did you have by the way i had the visor I was completely laid out by it for um, for like a couple of days. Mm-hmm. I, I felt like I felt so pathetic, but um, yeah, I'm still complaining about it now, as you can see. <laughs> so, hang on, what vaccine did you have? Uh, the Moderna. Yeah, but but I mean, yeah, definitely, definitely the right thing to do. I yeah. think. Yeah, and you've had two vaccines, have you? Yeah. Brilliant. Yeah. So, when was your last one? Your second one? It was about a month ago, I think. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. How about you? When were you a while ago? Yeah, mine was August. Yeah. <laughs> so it was. Oh my God. Yeah, two months. Is it two months? Mm. Almost two months. I can't believe we're almost October. That's mad. <laughs> yeah, I know. It's I know. Just insane. <laughs> Absolutely insane. Yeah, 2021 has been such a funny one because yeah. I, I spent all of 2020 thinking, ah, yes, this is bad, but then 2021 will come 
and the floodgates will sort of open and, and we'll all be allowed out and, and freedom will be back again and, and everything will be fine. And it's been a kind of weird limbo that's sort of both happened and not happened. Yeah, no, it's true. Um, but yeah, I'm not very good with vaccines. I mean, the first one I actually passed out. Um, no, no. Yeah, I think it was a combination of like the, the fear of and then overthinking everything. Mm-hmm. Oh, so it wasn't a kind of um, like chemical reaction to, to a needle or something? It was. A... I don't think, well, I hope not anyway. It was just one of those things where I put it down to the room itself was really warm. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was already a little bit apprehensive. Yeah, I think it was just overthinking everything. I was there for a good hour on the bed afterwards. I know. Did that happen before you got jabbed then? Um, no, that happened when I got jabbed. So I got the jab and then I sat down for, they have to leave you for about 10, 15 minutes. And then, yeah, it just sort of knock on after that. And then I just moved into another room and just laid on the bed for an hour. So what kind yeah. of reaction did you have? Uh, yeah, absolutely fine after the first one. Okay. Um, I was kind of expecting something and then didn't really have anything. And then after the second one, um, just it was like having the flu or something, just really, really cold um, and sort of shivering under the duvet and then very, very hot and then very, very cold again. And, um, yeah, it definitely something was <laughs> was going on. Mm. But, um, I, I don't think it's out of the ordinary for a vaccine to do that, but it's just... Yeah, when something is talked about to the extent that these vaccines have been mm. talked about, there's a, a, an undue weight of expectation on them that probably subjectively increases the amount that we feel they're having an effect on us as well. Um, like you say, you know, you probably went into that um, uh, injection clinic thinking about it so intensely because of what had come before. Yeah, no, definitely. I, I, yeah, I felt the same way. You just end up overthinking it, don't you? You're just like, oh my god, yeah, <laughs> mind yeah. spirals. Yeah, 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 totally. Yeah, exactly. And, and people, um, you know, the, the the kind of anti-vax opinion is so um, strong and fundamental that it, it kind of wheedles its way into some corners of your subconscious without you even knowing because it's so uncompromising. The yeah. sort of parts of you that think, well, maybe. I mean, they're so sure. They must be. They must be right, and um, yeah, it is destabilizing in that way. But um, yeah, it, definitely the right thing to do to get both. Though. Definitely. Do you know anyone that's had COVID? Yeah, yeah, I know a couple of people actually. Um, which is a change from twenty twenty. I really didn't know anyone in in twenty twenty who had, but since then, a few people I know have got it. And they're okay now. And... Yeah, yeah, fine, fine. Oh, good. Yeah. yeah, it's true. I know when I started this new job, it becomes so close. Like your colleagues getting it, and it was just like never before. Mm-hmm. That's why I couldn't wait to get the second vaccine. I was just like counting down. Yeah, yeah. I remember feeling exactly that. That you, you know, I would be able to do anything, go anywhere after the second vaccine. And then I tried to go somewhere um, to, to Corfu, as you know, and um, I, the doors weren't flung quite as wide open as I'd hoped they would be in terms of um, the passage of movement between places. But, yeah, I guess at least I was able to go at all. Yeah, so at least we can get a bit of normality back anyway, so that would be good. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs>
Yeah, but I mean, I, I, like you, I went for a thing in Wales um, just because you know you couldn't go anywhere else uh, in 2020, and that's an amazing place. I really felt quite embarrassed I hadn't been there before. Um, uh, it's uh, such a beautiful country. Um, is, I'll probably, yeah. you know, maybe go there um, consistently again. So I guess I've got uh, lockdown to thank for that. So what part of Wales do you see? Ooh, okay. So they are all um, incredibly hard to say and remember. <laughs> but, um, it was something like um, Clandau, uh, or Con- Conway, Con- Con- oh, Conway, okay. I think. Is that, sounds is that familiar. a place? Yeah, yeah. Familiar. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah, yeah. And um, went up Snowdon and all of that. Oh, um, wow. Yeah, that was really fun. Although there was a storm cloud at the top of it, um, and we kind of ascended into it and thought, ah, well, we'll, you know, this will be a little bit, and then we'll come out above the cloud, and it will all be magical. And that was the last time I I saw my hand until I came back down. (laughs) Do you do a lot of climbing or hiking? No, 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 no. no. I mean, to be honest, to to, to describe that as climbing is is quite grand, I would say. Like, sort of (laughs) slightly uphill walking. (laughs) Yeah, but Stonehenge was really nice, actually. Really, really lovely. Mm. I never actually got the chance to go up to the stones, and I didn't realise, like, I knew English Heritage was sort of renovating that, but there's quite a walk before you get to the stones and woods and everything, which was nice. So. Yeah, I've, I've, um, I've gone past Stonehenge quite a lot of times on that road that kind of you feel it's great when you're on the road and you're able to see it. Yeah. It's all very exciting. But you do feel it probably interrupts the sacredness of well, that's that it. area yeah. to be going through there at 60 miles an hour. Um, it's, it's a funny one, that, isn't it? What does it look like from Stonehenge itself to see the road and the cars buzzing past? Yeah, to be honest, I didn't really take that in. I could see it from a distance, but when you're there, you just take in just just how great the stones are. They're just massive. You just don't realise the size of them, and you think about the whole idea of how they even got stones there, and the logistics of it is just crazy. Just get your head around. Yeah, yeah. God, yeah, it's fascinating, isn't it? And they all would have had just sort of stone age tools and things exactly that yeah exactly little bits of twine and sort of wood cranes at the most yeah, yeah it, was there was there some kind of like that was druid times right so there probably was some dodgy human sacrifice element or something yeah i'd reckon there would be i don't know too yeah. much about it but yeah you're probably right yeah yeah it's fascinating that kind of stuff there's some um, there's all sorts about the, the um, uh, pagan religions that have uncanny sort of universal truths to them. Mm. Not that I'm setting myself up as being particularly spiritual. I think that. <laughs> <laughs> my, my whole dissertation was about how God doesn't exist. But, oh, really? But, uh, yeah. So what did you study Actually, again? Philosophy. Uh, philosophy, yeah. Did you enjoy your time at uni? Uh, yeah, yeah, it was great. Yeah, um, yeah, I met a lot of great people there. Um, it, although I felt a little bit lied to by Edinburgh um, in regards to the weather, I remember seeing very clearly a glossy brochure 
opened in the middle and showed these beautiful sunlit fields um, with uh, sort of falling leaves and everyone was in shorts and t-shirts and sort of playing unrealistic ball sports in a park. And um, I got there and I don't think that scene ever occurred once, maybe once in four years. Um, so on, on the false advertising front, I'd say Edinburgh falls a little bit foul of that, but um, every other aspect was very good. It was all all great, apart from the drizzle. It, but uh, no, it was great. And obviously, I, I met Alex there, and um, uh, yeah, lots of other good people. When I think of uni, I think, oh my God, it seems so long ago I've been at uni, but do you think you'd ever go back to studying? Do you think that's something under... Yeah, I wonder. I felt like it wasn't the best use of time, if I'm oh, honest. Really? <laughs> well, just in terms of, um, like, I had, I think I had maybe three or four lectures a week, um, and they were two hours each, so they, they're quite chunky, but that, you know, that leaves you, like, most of the rest of the day, and then a whole, you know, other day, and, and two um obviously the weekend as well and so uh, if you didn't fill it with other stuff then then that, that that could be considered treading water but luckily i had music to to um to fill it with yeah. how about you do you um would would you go back do you think yeah do you know what i thought about it a few times but i'm not sure if i would now i did think i would take an ma and go into a bit more detail with literature but then I was like well you start analysing thinking well what would that lead to like this degree and it's more of like a um, indulgence I think than supporting a future career yeah so hard to judge isn't it because maybe you'd meet some amazing professor who would really supercharge you and and, um, you'd go off on a tangent that you never would have done otherwise um and uh, an MA is certainly a cool thing to have. Do you put it in front of or after your name or, you know, something like that? <laughs> I don't actually know, to be fair. I'm not sure. <laughs> yeah, I think no, it's after, isn't it? You, Yeah, it would be Rachel MA. Well, she would be after your second name, but <laughs> yeah. You could very grandly introduce yourself if it ever came to that. <laughs> yeah, maybe. I thought about teaching for a long time as well. I thought about every career, to be honest. Mm, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's not a career I haven't thought about. What about you? Um, yeah, 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 no, completely. Um, I'm constantly worrying whether I'm doing the right thing or not. And uh, yeah, yeah, I think that's probably just part of, of, of um, being alive, isn't it? <laughs> that's it, exactly, yeah. Yeah, I think it's... Um, yeah, it's kind of human, isn't it? Like, yeah, if you're completely satisfied with what you're doing at all times, you're either very lucky or not paying attention that much. <laughs> oh so on the sideline to music, I mean, what's the kind of job that you would do or turn to? What jobs have you done? Um, so I um, actually um, manage a studio. Oh, okay. Recording studio. Uh, and yeah, that's that's kind of what I do alongside it um, and that's great fun and it's, it's it's brilliant to be able to interact with other artists that come through and, and have that uh, sort of point of reference 
Yeah, I bet that's quite fascinating, actually. So when you have people in the studio, do you ever get the opportunity to sort of produce music with other artists or collaborate? Uh, yeah, yeah, it has sometimes. I mean, my my production skills are pretty minimal. I, I'd feel bad about charging for them, I think. Um, <laughs> I would, I definitely, um, you know, I'd... Uh, I'd make my own bandmates suffer it, but I don't know about other people. But I, I'd certainly enjoy, you know, being uh, contributing to top line ideas and um, and guitar parts and piano parts and things. And what about philosophy? Have you ever thought about following that through? Did it ever occur to you to do anything teaching wise? <laughs> yeah, I I would have, in a way I would have loved to have been a philosopher because that's such a cool job title, isn't it? I'm not sure you really get paid for being a philosopher, but it sounds pretty great. Uh, just you know, being your job is to think big, important thoughts, and, and no one can really say you're wrong because you're so deeply engrossed in your subject. Um, but uh, I guess, yeah, you're right. Probably the one of the closest viable options to that would be teaching. Um, uh, but no, I never have thought about that. I, I've got I've got some friends who are teachers who actually love it. Um, but no, I've never, never given it much serious thought. Um, I think it's I just I'm aware of what a hard time some of the teachers at, at school got, and um, think God, I hope that doesn't happen to me. I think the teachers that get the the most slack is the cover teachers. I have to say, it's, it's <clears> saying, isn't it? When you look back and you think, my goodness, the kids just think they can get away with anything at that point. And it's like, oh, you know, no lessons then today. <laughs> Yeah, and the cover teachers are probably the ones that are thinking, oh, well, you know, maybe I'll just dip my toe in this teaching business just to find out yeah, if exactly. uh, it's really yeah. for me and yeah. if the kids really are that harsh. And they go in and it's like, oh, my God, these children are piranhas. They're awful. <laughs> That's it, I'm out. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm going straight into commercial banking, yeah. yeah. No, it's true. I was actually at that point when I was going to cover and I was just like, yeah, I think I'll do teaching assistants first of all, just sort of get a feel for an actual real class and then think about going from class to class because it is scary, like, from going from school to school and mm. especially with the secondary school, you think they're not going to have any respect or regard for, like, an outsider coming in and you've got handouts for the day, you know, and, oh, this is meaningless work. Yeah, yeah. Although sometimes there's a, um, a cover teacher that goes the other way and, and recognises the same thing that the children recognise, that it's there's a complete lack of accountability in the relationship. We, we, had, we had one that came in that for a whole, I think it was two terms, he showed a video every single time and the, the class learned nothing and then the exam happened. And um, obviously, everyone just couldn't, couldn't answer a single question. And uh, yeah, then the I think the headmaster had to like sit in on the lessons after that and make sure he was um, teaching anything. So maybe I could be that kind of teacher. Yeah, I, I, I could uh, I could get on board with that teaching style. Yeah, I did enjoy school. I suppose looking back on it, I. Did have a good time. I loved art. I loved English. It was just my passions. Mm. I loved them. But, Did um, you have a kind of a one book with English that really got you into it? Um, 
To be honest, I wasn't really that good at English. When I first joined, the teacher we had wasn't the most friendliest, let's say. She was quite stern. So I didn't really warm to the subject. And then it was all about speaking out loud and delivering like paragraphs that you, you know, go around in the circles, read out. And it just became an uncomfortable sort of experience. And I was like, I don't like this. I was, what, 11 at the time. And I don't know what changed, but I think reading outside of the subject really helped. I started reading a lot more and yeah, I fell in love with the library really. Yeah, nice. Yeah, yeah. Oh, I love a good library. Yeah, absolutely. What's been the best library you've ever been to? Ooh, library question. Uh, I do. I, this is going to surprise you, but I don't have a kind of top three ready to go off the top of my head. But I do. The the, the Edinburgh Library, the Edinburgh University Library was great. I mean that. Yeah, there's English. something about the like buzz of knowing there's you know a couple of hundred people around or working, and there's that kind of mm. silent. Um, energy in the air um, and books are such great decoration things as well just seeing a ball a wall lined with books is, is a lovely sight so that that all helps but uh, to be honest I'm realizing now that I don't have a great deal of libraries in my head to compare that to uh, I've I suppose I'm gonna blame Amazon for this because I just order any books I want from from the internet but um, yeah, I don't think I really have a, a local library. I, li I live in Brixton. I don't. I'm not thinking of one. Um, there's a great second-hand bookstore actually called Bookmongers, which is incredible. You can get like most books in there, like one pound fifty, wow. and you can walk out with sort of books by the kilogram for the same price as you get a 1999 hardback from um, Waterstones. Wow, that's incredible. We used to have a good bookstore locally. It would be like the Wordsworth editions that we would get for like 99p and stuff. But um, yeah, that's, that's nice. cool. I haven't been to a bookstore in a long time. I feel like, as you say, it's just all online purely now, isn't it? Just literally Amazon. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's Jeff Our music is quite good. Oh, yeah, okay. Yeah, oh, yes, the trading good. thing, right? Mm. <laughs> yeah, okay. I've got a lot from them. But I do. Sorry, I was going to say, I feel really guilty because I've just I had a list of like all the books I must get, I must read. Of course you get them, and then they just sit on the shelf. I feel really bad yes. that I just don't have the time to pick them up. I mean, on the train, admittedly, I do, but I have a chance, but that's it, really. Mm -hmm. yeah. So do, do you have uh, a favourite library? Maybe I can steal your, your favourite <laughs> library. Um, to be honest... I haven't got a favourite library to mind. All I can think of, as you say, is uni. That was just the best library ever. And I can still picture it to this day. My favourite aisle was um, Victorian literature. I just loved that so much. It was just a very comforting place. And I just love old books. And the smell of old books. I know that sounds weird, but yeah. No, no, no. I'm right there with you. Yeah, a good dusty spine. Yeah. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. No, yeah, anything like 18th, 19th century, that was kind of the... I'm, I'm becoming more and more convinced that was just the best time in general. Probably not for... <laughs> actually, probably not for a number of things, including 
medical health, women's rights, politics, yeah, rights, etc. But in terms of literature, um, yeah, it's just incredible. Like all those guys, um, was it like Nietzsche, Hermann Hesse, and um, she was all Germans. Yeah. And then, yeah, Victorian literature as well. That's in that time. I just love Thomas Hardy. I think he's an incredible writer. I really do. I don't know if he's read any of his stuff, but... No, I haven't. Uh, yeah, okay. What what should I read of, uh, of Thomas Hardy? Um, Far From the Madding Crowd is definitely my number one favourite of his. <laughs> and um, Tess the D'Urbervilles. <clears throat> yeah, they're my top two. Okay, um, yeah, I'll definitely give them a read. In fact, they're, def- they're ones, now that you say them, of course, I've, I've heard of them. Um, they're definitely ones I should should have read really right i'm gonna i'm gonna find i'm gonna do ooh, two words with one stone i'm gonna find a library that's really good and then go and read these books in it yeah they've got great film adaptations as well so if you ever get a chance to see them as well oh yeah okay well that's yeah maybe that's that's probably much more my speed okay i'm gonna, <laughs> gonna find the films first yeah so which way round would you do that normally then? Would you read the book first and then watch the film and would you watch the film and then see the book? Does it spoil it for you if you've seen the film and then... I think... I, I can't help but feel like if you read the book first, the film will always be some kind of a disappointment. <laughs> um, so it's got to be the other way around. But then even that has its problems, doesn't it? Because if you... Obviously, if you see the film, then you lose all the crucial excitement of not knowing the plot twists in the book. Yeah. Um, uh, what did I see? Oh, I read um, one really early, or a book I read really early on in my life was Papillon, um, about that, um, uh, what was he called, Henri Charrier or something, the, the guy who escaped French Guiana, uh, the prison system there. It's a true story, amazing. And I saw the um, Steve McQueen version. Uh, actually, when I was out in Corfu on one of the rainy days, it's an amazing film, really great. I, was, I think it was released in 1973 or 79 or something like that, a really long time ago. And I got back, and um, when I had this food poisoning thing, I was looking for a movie to watch and saw that there'd been a remake uh, in 2017 um, with Charlie Hunnam and Rami Malek. And I watched it, and it was so bad. It was so like monotonous and dry and devoid of feeling. And I, I'm just amazed that film technology, or like, you'd, you'd feel like from 1979 to 2017, there would have been a substantial advance in the way that we can articulate stories, and you know, certainly in film technology. But somehow, it was just completely. Um, void of, of emotion and yeah that was really interesting to see that in, in, um, in such close timing well, that's a disappointment then really I was going to say Rami Malek is, is pretty good usually yeah, yeah. Isn't he? he's great yeah. yeah 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 no totally um, but no it was just uh, yeah it was, <laughs> it was the first it's the first time I've ever reviewed anything I, I don't know why I got a real got a real stew about it and I <laughs> I did a I did a, a two star review on Google and that made me feel a lot better, um, <laughs> which is terrible. Um, and it was such a like oh the original was way better cliche. Um, but uh, I think yeah this time it was actually true. 
It is true that most of the originals, you, you just can't beat. There's just no way. Um, there's an author I also like called Daphne du Maurier, who wrote <coughs> Rebecca, and the original is incredible. Incredible, so good. But then they've gone and remade it on Netflix, and it's just, I think I was maybe five minutes into it, and it was just nothing like the book, <coughs> nothing like the original, and it was just so disappointing. Yeah, yeah. And you want to love these things as well because you want to see the, the story yeah, be given yeah, new exactly. life. Sort of, uh, other new generations get excited about it. But it's, I suppose, for the same reason, equally frustrating when it kind of sucks the life out of the story and makes it seem all bland and hollow. Yeah, exactly. You know, you feel like, okay, there's one aspect, maybe, but you don't really watch something just for one thing like costumes. Admittedly, they were really good and the scenes were amazing, but the acting was just so flat. It was just unbelievable. It was just very unconvincing and, um, yeah, just quite staged. So, yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's just funny, the, the, like, the details. Um, <laughs> you can tell I'm still annoyed about it because I'm, I'm going back to it already. The Papillon thing. <laughs> They'd obviously spent so much money so much effort on tiny little things like set continuity and ooh, was this kind of watch the watch they would have worn at that particular period in the 30s or whenever it was supposed to have taken place. Um, and then other things that are so screamingly obvious to the audience, like Charlie Hunnam's perfectly immaculate facial hair throughout the whole of his life sentence in the most grueling conditions imaginable. It was like he was never not perfectly groomed. And you just think, well, that's that's not even close to believable. Yeah. Like, why, <laughs> why spend all this other time doing, getting this other stuff right when the person the camera is focused on looks nothing like he's been in the penal system for thirty years? Continuity is an interesting thing, though, isn't it? It's um, as you say, sometimes it's not consistent. You see something and you think that really is out of place, and it just takes <clears throat> just an everyday person to spot that but you think this has gone through so many proofs how has it fallen mm. the net? yeah 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 it's it's super interesting and to think of it from like a music perspective like I, I suppose that's the fear as well like working on an artist and so on with, with the hi-hat example you know you think god if i don't check that then maybe that'll be the equivalent of the starbucks cup in the game of thrones scene that hasn't right. been picked up on and, uh, you know, nine times out of ten, it's absolutely not that. But I suppose the fear is that this is the one time where you really need to check and get rid of it. Crazy. Has film interest you at all? Has that ever been sort of a... Because you mentioned there that you've done a review of a, a film and... Has that oh, no, that was my... <laughs> no, no, that was my first ever totally spike-driven review. Right. Um, I haven't... Uh, no, I haven't done anything uh, seriously in that in that um, arena be cool too I mean I, I love film but for some reason yeah I've, I've um, never really gone that direction have you ever thought about doing it yourself yeah to be honest I have actually when I was at uni I'd done the student paper and then I sort of dappled a little bit in the, the film reviews but I didn't really take it much further um, <laughs> music was my thing I um, before I actually picked up English literature and creative writing I was going to do costume because uh, I was really okay. passionate about sewing the art and I was looking at Central so I went around there for an open day and I just really loved it but then I was just like 
this is really choosing my career so early. Whereas English gives you the options afterwards, like I could come back to it, this is something on the side, but yeah. Um, That's, yeah, yeah. There, there is a sort of vertigo about um, when you make decisions like that quite early on in your life and you think, oh God, is this it? Is, am I committing mm, my mm. to this one occupation? And yeah, no, I, I definitely remember feeling that about a couple of things. Yeah, but now that makes sense now with the dressmaking in lockdown. Okay. Yeah. No, I do. I really love costumes. I really love history and uh, historical dramas. And yeah, I guess it's, um, as I say, something that just sits on the side. But yeah, for my day to day job, working for the drama school and marketing that, I'm interested in seeing the progression of the students and. And their productions has just been great to get into that. Yeah, I just <clears throat> love performance. So. Yeah, yeah. Have you ever done acting yourself? I haven't actually. No. Mm. Yeah. Do you feel Do you feel the pull of the stage lights? <laughs> do you know what? I wouldn't mind giving it a go sometime. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Why not? Yeah. I don't know. Yeah, <laughs> I did. I did do a school play once. Um, and uh, I remember it being pretty bad. I think I was so monotonous. I had like one line and I delivered it like 40. <laughs> was it 40? And the, the director found it hilarious and I was trying desperately to get out of doing it and so kept on doing it um, as badly as I could, which only made him love it more. Uh, and yeah, so that, that then became one of the, the like big moments of the show with it. <laughs> someone's dad uh it's bad i think that was the last time i ever <laughs> ever trod the boards and when was that how old were you at the time oh i was young i was like uh, sort of 16 15 16 yeah yeah i think school plays for me i enjoyed to be honest but it was more like primary school when you could do the school plays i don't feel like I've done any at secondary school it was all we done musicals, we done Greece, and we done Moulin Rouge, and yeah, that's the thing. Mm. singing, dancing. Yeah. <laughs> I could never get on board with musical. I don't know why. Really? Because I, I love music, um, and I, I don't expect you to understand. But my position, yeah, is is a tricky one because I don't like musicals. Oh my god! I don't know what How it is. Do you not like musicals. Yeah, it is a bit like saying you don't like joy because that's obviously you know that kind of the incarnate. But maybe it's that it's the kind of the saccharine one hundred percent joy thing that I don't I, I don't get on with. But maybe maybe I just haven't seen the right musicals. Yeah, what musicals have you seen? Um, I think I've seen I've seen uh, recently. I saw a streetcar named Desire. Which was actually, I, I thought that was quite good. Okay, I didn't know. I think that was one of my favourite ones. Um, but no, things like Greece and oh, you're going to hate this and the Lion King and like oh, I just feel like and cats. Oh my god, yeah, oh that was terrifying. <laughs> the the film version. I didn't watch. Uh, I avoided actually. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I didn't. I didn't see the whole thing at all. But. Um, yeah, that was that was very scary. Yeah, that, that is a great example of um, a huge 
huge amount of money going into a film and no one picking up on the fact that these weird cat hybrid human things were going to be completely intolerable to a normal audience. Do you know what? When we were talking about writing about films and stuff, actually, I don't know how I completely forgot this, but in my previous job, I was actually marketing a cinema. So you mentioned cats there. That was mm. an absolute flop at our mm, cinema. Yeah. Really, really bad. Um, it's just, it was, I don't know. I feel like it had all the, the best stars, Judy Dench and, yeah. um, oh, I can't think of all the names, but yeah, James Corden and everyone. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, all the big ones. Yeah. The, yeah, it's not like he's that big, but Eldris Elba was another one. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Huge, I was yeah. just like, it was such a big hype around it, and the amount of stuff that they sent us, all these trailers, all these posters and cutouts and things. But when it actually came to the crunch of screening it, it was just, it wasn't for kids. It, it was aimed more, we didn't really know what the audience was, to be fair. Yeah. Adults didn't like it, kids didn't like it. <laughs> It was just plain weird. Because it wasn't animated, but it wasn't with real people, so it was this weird hybrid. Wasn't oh, it? it was so odd. It was like Judy Dench had this weird like beard thing going on, because it was her face. It was also a cat. It was like a bad acid trip. It was very unsettling, the whole thing. Yeah. yeah, that was funny. Yeah, but yeah, as you say, you know, how many filters will that have gone through? How many different rounds of funding and approval? And yeah, but they just didn't catch on to the fact that it was just completely untenable. Yeah, no, it's true. Um, but the musical I am looking forward to this Christmas, it's finally coming out as West Side Story remake. That looks so good. Okay, okay. Uh, well, I mean, <laughs> I'll give it. I'll give it my best shot. If I see it, uh, I will. Um, or if I have the chance to see it, I'll, I'll dip in for a few minutes just to see if I still feel the same about musicals. Did you see Baby Driver? It's not. I did. Yeah. I did. Okay, that's that's borderline musical. Kind of. Yeah, I'd seen like a film with music. Right? I think I draw the line of characters singing. I think that's probably okay. what um, what what it does it for me, or what takes it away from me. I just it's the complete the suspension of disbelief comes crashing down when um, you know uh, some Pierce Brosnan in Mamma Mia starts oh, singing. Yeah. <laughs> I avoided that series to be honest. I, that wasn't my bag. So. Mm-hmm. Um. But yeah, no, he's actually in this. The guy that was in Baby Driver, I can't think of his name, the main star. Um, but yeah, films are starting to come back on finally, sort of. Yeah, yeah, got the new Bond coming out soon, which yeah. is exciting. Yeah, speaking of Pierce Brosnan, actually, who was, of course, the best Bond. <laughs> it's a very unpopular opinion. I'm full of them, but he, I think, maybe it's just like being a '90s kid. He was the Bond when. Uh, when, when I was growing up so yeah he'll always be the one I have to say I'm not really a fan but yeah I've got family who are fans so they'll <laughs> probably go and check it out <laughs> are you what not a fan of, of the Bond franchise as a whole or just no damn? not at all I mean as a kid I did see bits here and there but I was never really into the whole thing um, yeah, fair enough. Yeah. Um, 
but yeah, I think the marketing mm. behind it is pretty decent, and the trailers look good. And yeah, plenty. I mean, as long as there's sort of a couple of explosions every twenty minutes, and you know the body count keeps up, that's yeah. that's all. That's all that matters. That's all the Bond on the audience want. <laughs> But Daniel Craig, he got in lots of trouble. Was it last release or maybe two releases ago when he was? He said something along the lines of, "I'd rather crawl through broken glass than do another Bond." And then, yeah, 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 yeah. He, which was obviously a little bit of a misstep, um, and he kind of had to take it back a bit. Um, And so he hasn't said anything like that this time. So I think the, the, the PR for the movie can be considered to have gone well. Yeah. Well, that's interesting because there's so many people that want to fill his boots anyway. You know, there's so many people that are rumoured to, to be the next Bond or will it be a black woman? And so if yeah, he's not interested, yeah. then he should hand it over, shouldn't he, really? Well, I know, yeah. It hardly seems like he's clinging onto it with his fingertips. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Interesting, interesting. I'm not really keen on him as an actor, I have to say. Mm. He was in Nine yeah. which was, was okay. He was all right in that, but... Mm. Yeah, he's kind of... Uh, he's got, like, a, a ruggedness about him, hasn't he? The, um, he's not... I don't know if I find him attractive, but that's... I suppose that shouldn't really matter. I guess, again, I'm just I'm just harking after the days of, uh, of good old Pierce. <laughs> Um, uh, he's not. What am I looking for? No, not attractive. It's like suave. That's the you know the Bond thing is suave, isn't it? Yeah. And he's more kind of SAS Marine than um, than dinner jacket. <laughs> yeah. I can't remember. I never actually read any of the original books. But was Bond supposed to be like dark haired or something? Because it seems all wrong that that blonde is blonde and blue eyed. I don't actually know, to be honest. Yeah, I can't. I have no idea. But it's like Breakfast at Tiffany's. Um, Holly Golighty was meant to be blonde as well, and she was completely different, obviously, when she was cast. Audrey Hepburn was cast. Um, I think they was going to have Marilyn Monroe actually at one point, but oh, okay, yeah. But this comes back to reading the book before you see the film, doesn't it? Again, you're just like, oh, kind of does it spoil it or? Does it not? Yeah. You've always got yeah. that vision, haven't you? And like when I'm reading, well, when I was reading Breakfast at Tiffany's, I was always just picturing the scenes that I've seen of the movie. That that's just how you're. Well, how my brain works, anyway. Mm. Oh, Otherwise. totally. Yeah, and you can't really push it out of your head if it's wrong in inverted you commas. Can't, can you? No, yeah. Well, anyway, listen. I've been talking forever. <laughs> I feel. <laughs> Um, it's been no, lovely no, no, talking been... to you, Jack, honestly. Thank yeah, you no, no, it's time. been a pleasure. No, no, same, same. No, I've loved it. Um, I'm sorry I've been just <laughs> sat here on some stairs rather than in a slightly more... I mean, I, what really would have been good was the old, uh, you know, the library wall behind me. And some oh, now you're talking, yeah. Yeah, leather-bound thing. But um, no, I'm just on some basement stairs. <laughs> Not quite as star-studded. It's nice, though. I mean, at least it's a bit of light coming in <laughs> yeah yeah that's true yeah <laughs> got my lighting right yeah <laughs> yeah no but no pleasure to talk to you and um and no thanks for having me on um and um yeah really glad that, that you're into the new single and um yeah can't wait to 
to have it out. It's out, uh, yeah, God, in a week. Less than a week Less now. Less than a week. Wow. It's finally happening. That was Jack from Arliston, and you've been listening to Spiral Podcasts. If you enjoy what you heard, be sure to give the band a follow on social media, and they'll keep you posted on new releases and shows. We also run a WordPress blog, Spiral Magazine. Feel free to say hello to us over on social media. Thanks for listening, and take care now.